Welcome to Crowdfunding Uncut. This is the place where incredible project creators show you how they launch their products online using the world's largest crowdfunding engines, such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This is episode 52 of the Crowdfunding Uncut podcast. Now, if you are a project creator that are looking to get your hands dirty with your own crowdfunding campaign coming in the fall, maybe two to three months from now, you should head over to our site, crowdfundinguncut.com. We have a nice freebie just on the main page that's going to take you through the steps on how the heck you build your audience before you launch. And I'm really excited to bring on this next guest because it's actually Jordan's second time coming onto the show. And if you are a longtime listener, you are going to be excited for this one because Jordan Harbinger, he is the founder of the Art of Charm podcast. And our first, I think it was episode number five of the show quite a while back, we really got into what it takes to create a top-ranked podcast and build it up from... Uh, being what used to be a Playboy, po- or Playboy, I mean, a pickup artist podcast, to 10 years later, what it is now a hub for people to learn how to be awesome human beings from confidence building, just to becoming effective versions of ourselves. And I really wanted to get Jordan back onto the show because I finally got a chance to meet him on the beach at Tropical Think Tank, which was, as you know, a conference in the Philippines hosted by Chris Ducker. Now, after being a bit hard to approach at first, because Jordan is a guy who likes to say it how it is. And that's one thing I love and respect so much about him. And the topic we got onto on the beach late at night when we were drinking was this whole concept of social capital and how when we are spending so much time connecting with people online, you know, sifting through our social media feeds, we are really starting to lose appreciation for the offline relationships and not to mention how you can actually use the concepts on building real relationships offline to create real ones online This is really important if you are looking to connect with any big influencers for your project. You don't want to make some rookie mistakes. And so Jordan, we are just going to be going into really what is the art of social capital? And he has a really cool story. He's actually been kidnapped twice. And so he's going to go into one of those at the end. So until then, just know that the recording is going to start off a little quickly Sorry for that. Uh, Thanks, Skype. I just couldn't think of a good way to introduce the audio. So he's going to start by telling us what he's been up to lately. Take it away, Jordan. Take little challenges about body language, vocal tonality, reaching out to other people, getting their goals in line. So we've been working on that business-wise. Of course, I've been stepping up the game, my game with the show as much as possible, interviewing folks like General Michael Hayden, who is the former head of the CIA and the NSA, Heinz Ward, the Super Bowl MVP, two-time Super Bowl MVP, and uh, a couple of philosophers and uh, the usual run of authors and folks like that. So just constantly trying to grow the traffic of the show. I mean, it's uh, now's the time to be growing a podcast if you're, if, you, if you're into that. Yeah, and why are you going for certain guests that you're going for right now? Sure. So it's funny because a lot of times people will ask, and I'm just going to look at some recent guests here, mm-hmm. because by the time I've recorded them, it's, it's been a week or so. And but I'll I'll go through specific examples. So the last few guests that I've had, let's see, 
latest post. Now, now we're now we're getting into like some of the mini sode Mondays. I do those fan mail Fridays. I do those. But I had mm-hmm. Angela Duckworth on. She wrote a book about grit, and I think one of the things that was really interesting about that was that grit is a huge predictor of who's successful and who's not. But what is grit? How do you measure it? So Angela explains that to us. That's a very useful topic, a useful metric. There's a lot of practicals there for the AOC family to listen to and use. And then mm-hmm. that I had a Green Beret named Jason McCarthy, who's the head of GORUCK, which might be something that you know of just in the fitness sphere. It's kind of like Spartan race type stuff. Yeah, and I should look into that. Yeah, you should. It's a cool community. He started this, and he talks about something called Charming the Snake, which is a concept used in when you're in-country, when you're special forces, at least Green Berets, to get the local population behind you. So he talks a little bit about charisma, and and not just charisma, but networking and relationship development for military purposes and how you might apply this to your life. And before that, we had Amy Herman on, who has taught everyone with a badge visual intelligence how to become more observant and that that was super interesting because we actually followed along with art that she uses in the museum in new york where she teaches this class she sent us pictures of the art and we took a little sort of mini class that you can take along with us during the show by looking at the art while listening to the episode and, and playing along and then before that we had general hayden who i mentioned earlier yeah I mean, when I look at, uh, you've done close to five, well, no, over 500 episodes now mm-hmm. with, I mean, interview wise numbers are a bit uh, scattered, but how yeah. do you find your, like, what is the key thing you're looking for when you invite someone onto the show? I'm looking for useful content or something that I can turn into useful content. So for example, I really don't want somebody who's just famous and has nothing else to offer. And I also don't want somebody who is going to be a boring academic. So I'm looking for a combination of personality, content, and, well, I'll put it in order. Content, personality, and reach. And what I mean by reach is I'm perfectly, that's a distant third. And what I mean by that is it's great if you have somebody that's got a huge audience of their own. It brings a lot of new fans to the show. But if if they don't have that, that should be okay. A lot of people, a lot of podcasters, I find, turn this... I guess, uh, hierarchy on its head, and they look for reach only, and then after that, they look for personality, and then last and definitely least for most shows, they look for content. So you end up with shows that have some singer guy, and they come on and they wax platitudes about nothing, and everybody walks away... Like, what was that? Time, yeah, having wasted their time being there, because I don't need to listen to Kobe Bryant be like, you just gotta push through the pain. Well, I, I, know you're, I know that you're gonna say that. I don't need an interview. Yeah. I want to find out how you push through the pain. What kind of pain did you experience? Were there techniques you used to push through the pain? And you've got to be able to tease that out. Most people won't do that. So for us, it's content, personality, and reach, um, not the other way around. And, and so that's why we get the guests that we do. And the irony is that by looking for the content first, we've managed to build a loyal subscriber base that is so engaged mm-hmm. that they want to they want to listen to these long-form interviews with these other folks so the audience is big enough and engaged enough that people with huge reach enjoy coming on the show. Uh, so we've ended up getting all three by focusing on what's important, not trying to shortcut to the reach in the beginning. And I see that happening a lot, especially with podcasters. There's a whole yeah. term called standing on the shoulders of giants, which is... Been co-op, has been co-opted in the internet business a lot 
Mm-hmm. It basically means is interview well-known people and then hope that they share it, and then they, those people end up building your business for you. But the jig is up on that. Like, everybody knows that you're doing that, and so people who ha- are short on time, which namely people with big reach, just start saying no, and it's bad for everybody. Yeah. I find, like, one of, now that I've been podcasting for, I mean, a year, which is nothing compared to you, but I find that. I looked for the content and the the how-tos and the actionable things so people get real value listening to the show, but then sometimes I find myself interviewing people like, I'm a little bored, or how do I make this interesting? And so, like, I I look at shows like Michael O'Neill's, where he's all comedy and sometimes less action, so I'm like, and then I find yours, which is, like, really getting to the basics of stuff, and it's like, how do you find that good balance of content but still enough that people just want to keep listening. Right? Yeah, that's tough. It's tough. And and that's the reason that podcasting is hard because people try to put it into a can and they go, well, you know, if you ask people this pre-scripted set of questions, you'll have a great interview. And it's not true. You'll have the same interview as everybody else and it'll still be mediocre because in order to host a a show, you need to have your own lively, engaged personality. You need to have guests that... that has that and you need to be able to tease it out of guests that do not mm-hmm. you need to be able to dig for the right type of content you need to be able to dig for and do your research and prep for the right type of guests and most people won't do that because it's a lot more work so what they do is they try to take the shortcut which everybody is taking so you end up on this crowded highway in a traffic jam with 99 percent of people who are emailing all of these different personalities and saying, will you be on my podcast? Here are the questions. And those people just eventually stop responding. So I've noticed that a lot of the bigger guests, I'll say, what other shows have you done? And they say things like, I'm doing this one, these other two, and I'm done. And I'm thinking, well, I hope it's not because of us, you know? And they're like, no, I just, they did five or so before, you know, a year ago, or they did three, or they did the last one and they realized this is a huge waste of time. Half of these guys sitting in their basement, they're not doing anything, and they're wasting my time. And it becomes a huge issue because that's the, the old cliche is right, right? We're limited in our, in our amount of time. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to go on shows that have ROI for me generally or, or that are run by friends. And those people are getting asked by everybody. So the way that they cut it down is by saying, who's listening, right? And mm-hmm. not many shows can say they've got that type of listener base. It's just not worth it. So a, a lot of the bottom rung shows and internet properties doesn't have to be a podcast could be youtube could be a blog they're just hoping that they either find people first which they won't because they're not doing the research or the work (laughs) uh, or that they get there before that person has burned out um or last and hopefully least uh, hopefully this happens less they lie about their numbers and Mm -hmm. i i've even created a guide whenever i interview somebody after the episode i send out a guide as to how to what decide how to decide what other shows to go on because a lot of people will listen to shows like The Art of Charm and they'll simply email or tweet at that guest. I see it all the time because sometimes they copy me on it or sometimes the guest is like, "Do you know this person?" and I'll get five emails from the guest two days after it airs where they're getting pitched and I don't know. And and some of the people will will lie about their numbers and and things like that and so I created a PDF for all of my former guests that basically says Here's what you look for. Here's what you ask them. If they don't get back to you with these numbers and they're not higher than X, Y, Z, then forget it. Oh, so I do that's it all the time. Genius. Yeah, so it's, it's funny because I've ended up, I didn't think about it at the time, but what we have ended up doing at AOC was we created a standard for 
if you've been on Art of Charm, you shouldn't go on anything smaller than XYZ show. You know, here are the numbers. And most people won't be up, up front about those numbers. And so I said, the first thing is, if they won't tell you what these numbers are, bounce, because they're not good. So why did you create that guide for a guest experience after the podcast? When, like, um, why is that? What was happening is I, I, I started to feel bad. There's a couple reasons. I started to feel bad about guests coming on the show and then getting burned by the next five people that pitched them so they would come on the show and they'd be like this was great it was really fun you read my book and we had a great hour-long conversation and tons of people emailed me and were thankful and then they'll go and do 10 more shows that they booked two days later thinking this is great i'm on 10 more shows and they get crickets or the guest is or the host isn't prepared or they flake and they forget about it and then they got to reschedule or they didn't realize that they were in california and the other person's in new york so they got their time zone screwed up just really unprofessional kind of amateur hour maneuvers that you see yeah. people that, that all all mistakes that i used to make don't get me wrong just all mistakes that i used to make back in the day the problem is thought leaders, busy people, authors, things like that, they don't have time to be your learning curve. And they, didn't re they don't necessarily realize, since podcasting is sort of new and trendy, they don't necessarily realize that not all shows are going to be like the first three shows they did, which are run by celebrities or run by people mm -hmm. who have been doing it for 10 years. You know, so so I, I made that guide to save them from that. The other thing is I wanted to protect the podcasting community from from itself in a lot of ways but also from people that don't care about it and are just going to leave and go on to the next get rich quick internet bs that's going to pop up in the next couple of years because right now podcasting is super trendy trendy it's growing a ton everybody wants to have their own it's kind of like where blogs were in 2005 like yeah has one and you're like mom you have a blog it's stupid nobody's going to read that why and you're right. a blog right and you're right and now they don't have a blog anymore and facebook has basically become everybody's blog for for the general population you don't manage it you don't have to create it but what was happening was a lot of people were will do things like reaching out to a guest and lying about numbers or telling them to expect too much back from their appearance in order to get that person on as a guest and of course when that doesn't happen the problem is you reach out i reach out other people reach out and they say look i've got this sort of fledgling show I'd love to have you on. And they go, no, thanks. I've been burned before by people who do shows. So you end up with these guys at the bottom trying to get rich quick or whatever, trying to pitch every guest they can and burning people out. And so I wanted to create a filter where they can read this. It's an infographic. When they're done, they go, oh, okay, I should only do these types of shows. And it's I posted it in the podcasting community, and I got a lot of backlash because – a lot of people who are new or have smaller shows, they're like, you're such a self-important jackass. And I can't really argue with that because they're probably right. But the, the, tr is, <laughs> the truth is, though, that um, thought leaders don't want to... We're not sitting here trying to rationalize. If I'm, if I'm an author, I don't really care that you have 100 really dedicated fans. Like, that's great. I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. But mm -hmm. if, if I'm trying to choose between you and an appearance on MSNBC... It's got to be worth it. And and it's probably never going to be that choice. But if I'm trying to choose between you and an appearance on a really large podcast, I have to have some system of metrics. I've got to figure out, do I go and do this YouTube show or do I go and do these other smaller shows? And I can't do that if everybody's pulling the wool over my eyes. And there's such a learning curve for people 
who are new to podcasting, guests, I, I mean, who are new to podcasting, that it's really easy to say, I'm number one in iTunes. Well, what does that mean? Do you're, you're number one in all of iTunes? Or, oh, no, you're number one in your subcategory. Oh, no, you're number one in your sub subcategory. And you were only number one for a day when you launched, and that was three years ago, and your traffic's gone down since then. So we go from number one in iTunes to number one in the business, but not the business, only in the marketing. And even then, it was three years ago, and it only happened for an hour. So th- you got to be able to decode these types of things. So I teach people how to do that in that infographic by saying, look, look at the iTunes rank. How long has it been there? Before you say yes, see if it's still there tomorrow. How many reviews does it have? Because you can be number one in all of iTunes. I don't care. But if you have mm-hmm. reviews or 23 reviews, you've only been around for two days, something weird's going on, and you're going to be a flash in the pan. And I've seen a lot of shows do that. A lot of shows do that. I should get my reviews up. Guys, if you like the show, please leave an honest review. Go to iTunes in the show notes. Anyways, moving on. um, I think what what you do with having the what, how to prepare yourself or how to protect yourself from future podcasts is a great way to continue the relationship with a guest after the show. And I'm wondering, like, what are some things you use to keep your network uh, fresh Sure. So one of the things, well, actually, what do you mean by network, actually? So why, don't, why don't we define that first? I have my tropical think tank notes in front of me. And one thing that you said, I'm quoting you, it really stuck with me. It said that if you hoard your network, it causes it to atrophy. So you yes. have to maintain your network somehow so that you don't forget about people. You nurture certain relationships that mean like matter to you. So I'm curious like how you do that. Sure. So... To clarify your point, what I mean by you have to work your network or atrophies is that a lot of people, they don't realize that, well, first of all, working your network is like a muscle. So if I know you and, well, in fact, real world example, wait, can I tell a real world example involving you? Yeah, please. Yeah. So remember a while ago, I introduced you to somebody. And the reason I did that was because we had been hanging out at Tropical Think Tank this person had posted in a private group. I need somebody who knows how to do crowdfunding. I and everybody, I knew everybody was going to list this one guy who's been doing it for a while, who's a friend of mine too, and a really interesting guy. But I wasn't sure if it was, I, I wasn't sure if anybody was going to mention you, and I also wasn't sure if he was too busy or still doing that. So I mentioned you, and I, as far as I know, you ended up working with this person. Yeah, I ran the campaign, and hopefully that worked out. So yeah, yeah, so far so good, right? So. I could have just not done anything about that, or I could have maybe just emailed you that link or whatever, but I I actually made the connection. The reason that I did it was because your network grows when you have to work it out. You've got to create the relationships and strengthen them by connecting you with that other person, connecting me with somebody else who who thereby you kind of pay it forward. You have to do that because if, if I just know that you do certain things, and I have you in my Rolodex for that, but I never deliver any value to you or I never ask you for anything, the relationship tends to stagnate because we're not really using it. I'm not necessarily keeping up to date with you. And then if I ever do need something, I'm in this weird position where then I have to ask you for something and you're like, huh, well, we haven't really done any business before or dealt with each other in any way, but I guess, or you're just like, eh, it's too risky. But if, if I keep managing to create social capital by introducing you to people it's great and the reason that it works so well is it's also scalable so by mm-hmm. the the amount the relationship that you now have with with uh, Manish 
is stronger. And the reason that I have with both you and Manish is stronger because I sent you guys an email and then you ended up working together. I didn't have to do any work. I didn't have to yeah. scale the campaign or like, you know, create any graphics or anything. I didn't have to do anything other than plug people into who are already in my Rolodex into each other. And that's huge because I can do that a hundred times a day if I need to. And I I don't do it that that often, only when it makes sense. But there might be something every day or every every week. And that's how your network relationships get stronger. And mm-hmm. most people are not doing that. And that's a problem because you you see this kind of hoarding mentality where, you know, oh, I know this person and they're the celebrity's agent, but I never ask them for anything and I never call them or do anything. You're not building up any social capital by not using that relationship. You think you are because you think, oh, I know this famous person, but I've never asked him for anything. If you call and say, I know I've never asked you for anything, but this time it's important, that they're not going to go, well, since you never asked me for anything, I'll do this one time. They're just thinking, yeah, you didn't need anything from me before, and now you need something. That's how it sounds. You feel a little used at that it, point, right? You do. And so yeah. if, if you'd been asking them to get involved with something that's of equal, equally valuable for them, or you're giving them something that's only valuable for them and not for you, it becomes so much nicer and so much better because then you have a relationship with this person. It sounds so simple, and yet... I almost I see almost nobody doing this, and it's a I, huge problem. Yeah, I think that people get hung up because the example you gave it was a uh, like it was a mention on Facebook. Manish mm-hmm. said, "Hey, who knows a crowdfunding expert?" And then you shot back saying, "Hey, I know someone because yes. I at that point niched my business to crowdfunding, and you knew I was in crowdfunding." Yep. So that's easy because it's a direct correlation. But what do you do if like? People say, okay, you got this network. Provide value to people. That's so flaky. Like, how do you figure out how to provide value to certain people, right? Yeah. How do you figure that out? This is is another kind of awesome, I should say neglected, yet potentially powerful strategy that, that people underutilize entirely across the board. So I'm looking, I'm always keeping an ear out for what, might be of value to other people. And it's really easy given social media. I mean, we use social media to, I use social media to activate my network all the time. A lot of people use these automation tools like mm-hmm. contactually or things like that where you, it reaches out to this person, it reaches out to that person, sends them a form email. You don't need that anymore. Just look at your news feed. It's already curating a lot of the things that you need. And, and sir, some people aren't on Facebook, whatever. You can have other lists. But yeah. there's plenty on your news feed that's going to tell you who to be in touch with. You can always reach out and do things like that. But the, what I'm looking for are the needs of my network. Who knows somebody who's good at crowdfunding? I knew that he needed that. So that was easy, right, because he asked. Yeah. But if somebody says, man, I really need to get capital for my product manufacturing and I don't want to take out a loan, I might spend just one second thinking, all right, well, how would I do that if I were him? Oh, I'd probably crowdfund it. Well, maybe I should suggest that. So I might even reach out to him first and say, hey, have you thought about crowdfunding it? might be a really good idea. And then he comes back with, yeah, sure, this would be awesome. I guess I could crowdfund it. How does it work? Maybe I'll research that. Oh, it looks complicated. I wonder if there's anybody who can help me. Actually, I do know somebody who can help you. So you get to the same result. You just have a few extra steps. And it, yeah, this I is like that. happening in my brain. This is all happening in my brain, like at a back burner <laughs> level. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking at Facebook and going, hmm, this person says they lost their shoe. I wonder how I can help them find or get new shoes. Fire department. Fire department. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I just have no, yeah, I have no, um, no, 
sort of system for it that's on paper. It's not something that I'm spending a lot of time doing, but it starts to become a habit. That's the word I'm looking for. It becomes a habit. And once you it keep a habit. Go oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you keep on um, talking about this concept of social capital. What is social capital to you? Sure. It's sort of this ethereal currency that, and the term is something that we thought we created at, at The Art of Charm, and then we started Googling or, you know, for our SEO, and I'm like, oh my god, people are using this all over, but it's not a formal definition. What I mean by it is, if I help Manish with something, even if it's just an introduction to you, if I help my friend Daniel with something, uh, it, whether it's an intro or some knowledge about it, my friend Daniel called me about sales stuff the other day, so I spent some time on the phone and helped him with it, and he made a bunch of money using something that I tweaked for him. You know, nice. that, that type of thing is social capital. It's basically reciprocity that is in your favor with other people or the idea that maybe you've got a lot, a huge Rolodex full of people that you know that also like you, that's huge, or you know a lot of other people who also have large Rolodexes of people, and they're well-liked and well-connected, that type of mixture would be social capital. So it's essentially capital being like cash, currency, money that you can invest. Social capital is has the exact same function in so many ways. right? I know lots of people can help me with this, or I know people who can help me motivate others, or help me sell things, or help me build things, and that is social capital. So I, I encourage people to build it because it's much easier to amass social capital than it is to amass regular capital, and it's almost inevitably one almost inevitably leads to the other. If you have a great network, you have great connections. It's very difficult not to make money. You have to really sabotage yourself a lot. Yeah. Because at this point, like, our exchange, it went from, like, I got familiar with your work because I took Interview Your Heroes course by Andrew Warner. And then you were in the forum. And then you came on the podcast a year ago. And then you just ended up being a speaker at an event I went to. And then we bonded. And then after that, it was like, hey, Jordan, I have this guest that I think you really like. And then it's just, like, back and forth. You know, like, it's not, yep. I didn't go in there with the intention, like, okay, what can I do to get on his radar? Right. So I can ask you for everything, right? It, it's... It's, it's got to about that, right? It's gotta be, yeah, it's not about that. It's not about you can have a plan to help people. You can even have a specific plan to help specific people, and that's fine. Where it becomes, where it starts to get a little disingenuous is when you start to keep score. And so, one of our rules of social capital is don't keep score. And what I mean by that is, if let's say I have a specific, let's say I know that somebody is moving to my town and they have. They're, they have dietary restrictions. And this is a real example. My friend uh, Scott Dinsmore, who actually passed away, as you might know, um, he did this with another friend uh, of his who moved to town, moved to San Francisco, and he was vegan. And Scott was like this really athletic guy and, and wrote and loved this guy's blog, the Zen Habits blog. And he, mm -hmm. he wrote down a bunch of vegan restaurants and locations in the city of San Francisco that he might want to try. And he came to a meetup with this blogger and he handed him the list. And that was a specific way to help a specific person, and that was great. But what he did not do after that is say, cool, can you write about me on your blog or, or whatever? That didn't, that didn't happen. And that was enormously beneficial for him because, well, one, he wasn't looking to do anything like that. It wasn't reciprocal in nature. And mm -hmm. it, it became a favor for somebody that was really thoughtful. So there was a lot of value there. They became friends, and they later on helped each other with business stuff, I'm sure. But what we find is creepy would be to the creepy level slash disingenuous level would be to do that and then to say and now that i've got your attention if you have time i would love it if you would write about my blog on your blog so i can get some more fans that's a little disingenuous because you're basically creating a covert contract with that person where they don't know that they're obligated to you 
until after you've done something for them and it's not fair. It'd be like me saying, here's this uh, piece of junk that I found on my desk, you know, and okay, that's 20 bucks. You got to pay me for that now. You'd be like, get out of here, jerk yeah. face. But, Never talking to you again. Yeah, I don't want your used hand lotion. God knows where that's <laughs> been, right? So, so it's it's something like that. You you just don't want you don't you'd never accept that in your real life. So when people do it online or in business with things like that, it's it's just as bad. It's just that somehow we've whitewashed it into seeming that it's okay. And the reason that we don't keep score, going back to keeping score, what that means is. If you did that, you created the list of restaurants and you sent it to me, and then later, maybe you didn't ask me for something right away because you do have a little modicum of social intelligence and you know that I'd be upset by that. You create that, yeah. you give it to me, you hand it over, and then a month later, I might even say something like, um, you, maybe you catch me eating at that restaurant, maybe I post about it online, or maybe, maybe nothing. Maybe you just reach back around and say, hey, Jordan, it was really cool to, to get that, uh, to, to see you in yeah, your meetup, whatever. I hope you're enjoying that list of vegan restaurants. Anyway, can you come on my show or can you promote this thing or can you be an affiliate of my product? And then it becomes, you, you go, oh, okay, that's the whole reason you did that. You're not actually, you don't like me or my product. You want to use me for something. Now, the other side of that is also a downside. The, the scorekeeping side has bo is both downsides because if I say no, then what happens is if you're keeping score, you say Oh, I get it. You're a taker, you know, or oh, you, you know, you're mad at me now for not reciprocating when I feel that I don't owe you anything. However, if you're not keeping score and you do ask me for something, I can totally say no and we're fine and it's like it never happened. There's yeah. no problem there. And so that's why you can't keep score because otherwise you're creating covert contracts with other people and you're going to be disappointed it's going to reflect it's going to change the way you look at those people too and it's going to sour all of those relationships because you're always going to feel like you got the shaft from most of those people and they're not going to want to deal with you and the reason is uh this is a great segue from andrew warner's interview uh, a couple episodes ago but he talks about how when you reach out to people you always have to speak in terms of how it's going to benefit them and if you come off like how can this thing benefit me you're never going to progress in your network or relationships like exactly it's a huge huge problem that people do this because you don't realize it right a lot of people who are sort of newbies or whatever or just self-centered like me they don't necessarily realize that that you're <laughs> doing this and, and it can go under the radar until someone says hey man I, I know you might not be doing this on purpose but it looks a little bit disingenuous and you go oh crap i i can't believe that yeah. and I, I see this so often that it's comical. I was in Denver last week, and I was with my my buddies and my marketers who were we were filming some videos and stuff for a launch. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting there, and our marketer goes, "Think of a story when somebody did did it wrong, did the social capital thing wrong, and we'll we'll throw it in the video." And I go, "Ah, oh, man, let me think of an example." And right then, his iPad rang, and it was somebody that we had we used to work with as a as a group at the Art of Charm. And um, very, very briefly, obviously, they didn't get the memo on the skill set that we teach because the first the conversation said, hey, what's up, man? It's so-and-so. So I'm wondering if you know anybody in – oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Let me back up. Uh, did you get my book? I emailed you my book. Um, and the, the, my friend Rob goes, yeah, I uh, got it. 
cool. Do you need any help? Well, I haven't read it yet. It's like a 200-page ebook about working out. And it's like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to read this. And, and he goes, no, nah, I'm good. Well, anyway, cool. Well, let me know if you need any help. Anyway, I'm wondering if you know anybody who does X, Y, Z. And it, we were all laughing so hard because we were sitting here trying to think of somebody who does it wrong. And just right there. The of, yeah, it just rings. And there's somebody with a classic example. <sighs> calling only this is the only time he'd ever talked to him other than in person when that when rob was at our office and the second time we talked to him was months later the first thing he said was hi how are you doing do you know anyone who can help me with x so framed it wrong and then on top of that realized his mistake went back to the beginning of the conversation which you can't do authentically or reliably reasonably at all Tells him, tells him, go, did you get this thing that I sent you? To- totally doing the value thing wrong. Basically, like, read my book and then let me know if I can help you with it, which is his business. Like, let me know if you want to become a client. No. And then h- hangs up because he didn't have somebody ready to, something ready to fire back. And it, oh it was because I, we just had worked with this guy really briefly and we didn't really get along. And I'm like, oh, that's why I forgot about that. You know, this person is a taker. They don't get it. And they're not even thinking about what's in it for the other person. So you always do have to frame it. What's in it for the other person. And you should always be, always be giving ABG, right? Instead mm-hmm. of charming, uh, closing, always be giving. Always be charming, of course. I like that. I just invented that, and that's amazing. I'm gonna keep I like it. ABC, always be charming. ABCs. Uh, you always have to be giving, and and it's it's so easy to do, but it's really easy to screw up if you don't build it in as a habit. I routinely email people and say, hey, I hope this finds you well. I was wondering if you knew anybody who did this, 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 and this. If not, no worries. You're just, you, you crossed my mind. But it's mm-hmm. okay because those same people also routinely get emails from me that say, hey, I know you like ribs. Have you seen this new place? It's not that far away from you. I was wondering if you'd been there. If not, let's go. I want to take you there sometime. And they're... And you know they're they're totally cool with that, and I'm not doing it because later I'm going to send them a request. These are actual yeah. tips or actual people that I like, and, or or even just people that have done business with me. But I'm not thinking about what the immediate return is. And and one final example of this that is from my real life is as follows. And I, I think I probably mentioned this in my talk at uh, Tropical Think Tank. Maybe what happens uh, when I moved to LA? I had a toothache. Did I tell the story? I had a toothache, like a crazy toothache. Keep this, on. Yeah, and. I kept calling dentists, and they were like, "I'm sorry, I'm full. I can't get, I can't see you. Oh, we don't accept this type of insurance, all this other stuff." And I'm like, "God, I just want this handled." And so they're they're saying, "Go to the ER. Go to the ER." And I told my friend, "I'm going to the ER. He's an ER doctor." And he goes, "You do not want to go to the ER with a toothache. They're just going to pull everything. They're not going to try to fix it. It's not going to work for you. It's going to be bad. And they're going to send you to a freaking dentist anyway. You're going to be back at square one. So don't do it." Right. So what ended up happening was I posted on Facebook and I said, "Look." Can anybody help me? I've got a toothache. It's really, really, really bad. And this guy who I didn't know just you know, followed me or a friend of a friend or something like that. He, uh, he'd created, or he had posted, sure, you know, I don't know you, but my aunt's a dentist in L.A. Is this something that you, is this something that you really need? You know, I'll call and, and make it happen. So he calls and makes me an appointment. I go and see his aunt and we end up, she ends up, doing a really good job on my tooth and of course i write him back hey man thank you you saved my bacon anything i can do for you let me know and he goes well actually you know i know you i see that you run a business and and this is okay right because remember he offered to help me and he's he he's asking me for something that seems pretty appropriate and i'm i'm, I'm in a place where i can say no because 
if I can't help, I can't help. He said, I'm a graphic designer. I was wondering if you need any web work done. No, no worries. And I said, no, I'm, I'm good. We do it in-house. It wasn't inappropriate at all. And then he said, well, keep an, keep an ear out for me or eye to the ground, whatever you call it. Ear to the yeah. ground for, for me. And I said, sure, no problem. A few days later, somebody had emailed me and said, who does your website? I really need new graphics. And I said, look, I've got this guy's portfolio. I don't know if it's going to be a fit. I mean, it could be, you know, but but it could also just not be. But here's his portfolio. Let me know if you want the intro. Portfolio worked out, made the intro. Guy got a full-time job as a graphic designer for this internet marketing company. So he was really stoked. And awesome. that wouldn't have happened. The, the reason, that's ch- simple reciprocity, big deal, right? But the reason that it's important is because when he hooked me up with his aunt, he wasn't thinking, I'm going to get this random guy on the internet, a dentist. He's going to turn out to be an entrepreneur who knows other entrepreneurs who need graphic design work, dot, 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 job. That was not something that he could have possibly anticipated. So if if he were judging his giving of value based on opportunities that were on the horizon, he would never have reached out and done that because he wouldn't have been able to see it. So you can't just people value when you see the opportunity because you will miss 90% of the opportunities that are behind a layer, another layer of the onion. Because you just don't know, right? You You don't know where I can go. So it's a numbers game and you have to play the numbers game, but most people are too lazy or they're too entitled to play the numbers game and so they miss out on most of the opportunity because most of the opportunity is not obvious and right in front of you. Yeah. Um, I know we're going a little over time, so I just want to be cognizant of that. Um, Do you have another 10 or 15? Sure. I didn't realize I was yammering. I know. We could talk forever, but I I didn't want it to get to like, you know, midnight. You're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. This is good because, like, another part of um, the other side of why it's important to go into relationships not thinking of yourself is the other side of that is really, like, the offline portion. And I find it fascinating how you've built a business around how to build real relationships with people even though a lot of your entity is online. Yes. you've built your business around solid relationships, because there's no way you'd be able to get major guests on without these relationships, right? And like, well, correct. Not only not only that. Um, not only well, the show started because we were talking about body language, nonverbal communication, vocal tonality, eye contact, and things that were at that point dating related and networking yeah. related. And we focused on dating because that was what people wanted to hear. But originally, we started with the networking stuff. It's just that that was less interesting when you were 24 years old. Okay. We were like, so we've always kind of been in the same area, same niche. We just were talking to a different market. And then we sort of, the whole pickup artist thing started mm-hmm. to go crazy. Like, that started to become a thing. We were around before that. Then it started to become this really sleazy thing. And I was like, I don't want to get mixed up with these guys. So we tried to distance ourselves from that. But you can't. It's just so hard. So we had to rebrand entirely and just stop talking about it for the most part entirely because the people who were really into that were kind of weird. And the people who weren't into that, who are a normal audience, they were getting alienated by that. Because you get guys who are like, hey, I'm 41 and married with two kids. I don't want to hear about all this other stuff, but I like 90% of what you're doing. So we just said, let's get rid of this 10%, this crusty 10% of guys, uh, and get rid of them. And so we rebranded. So we were always interested in in the science of relationships. Yeah. We started to work our relationships not only because that's what we were teaching on our live programs in L.A. for guys that come through, but also because, yeah, we wanted to get better guests. But as the show grew, we realized, well, wait a minute. 
you know, we've got a ton of social capital. We've got a ton of guests. We've got a huge platform. And we've got a successful business. Now that the now that the stuff is sort of trendy, we're able to teach other people how to do business. We've been in business for a decade. We have some mm-hmm. lessons, you know, we, sh- we can share with younger people or newer people to the entrepreneur game. And we do that a lot as well. And so we find ourselves being able, being in a situation where we have to apply the same skills that we teach at our boot camps and, and online. And we, I've noticed the people that don't do this that don't apply these things and don't create strong bonds and connections don't create good friendships there's they're missing something big time they're not mm-hmm. getting full benefit of they're not getting the full benefit of what they could there's a lot of guys that started online businesses guys and girls that started online businesses because they're a little shy maybe they're a little quiet they don't want to deal with the uh, the day to day and this mm-hmm. will still bite you in the butt when you need to create relationships with people when you need to create jv branded content when you need to create uh, media products things like that and and so what i found is people that have crazy good networks they're always making money and it's really really easy compared to people who don't have great networks and relationships they're constantly in my opinion i see them swimming uphill constantly because they're trying to do everything themselves they're getting bitten by by people because they don't know how to reach out to or don't have a network where they can reach out and go, who's the best person for this kind of media buy? So they find somebody online, get ripped off. You know, they, yeah. they, they when you're when you've got a great network, you can learn from other people's mistakes, and that's huge because I can learn from your mis- mistakes by reading about them online, but I can learn about your mistakes much better if you tell me exactly what you would do in this situation, having to do it all over again. And yeah. Put that online. You might not want to talk about the time that you did XYZ, got sued, and it was a huge disaster, but you might tell me if we're friends. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. Uh, just wondering, have you ever had Oren Clough on your show from Pitch Anything? Yeah, I had him on a long time ago. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Moving on. Because yep. oh, he's very in alignment with your stuff. So Yeah. Um, you Okay. So one, uh, I asked a few of my friends if they had questions for you, and the big one that came up, I've heard the story, but it's so good. Mm-hmm that I want you to talk about it. It was on the topic of um, learn about situational changes. And in this, you've been kidnapped a couple of times. Yeah, a couple of times. And it's funny because whenever I travel, my dumb friends are always like, third time's the charm. And I'm like, don't, no. say, don't say that before I go to North <laughs> Korea um, or whatever, the Fi- or Asia, you know, the Philippines, et cetera, places where people actually do get kidnapped. So, the situational awareness thing is something that we end up teaching a lot also at our, our live boot camps. And it's, it's, it's definitely super interesting and super exciting for us to see how this translates into relationships. But essentially, when you learn enough about body language, nonverbal communication, eye contact, negotiation, influence, persuasion, things like that, things that we teach at AOC, you start to become a little bit more of a chameleon because you learn how to develop really, really good rapport skills. And so one of the times, the second time that I ended up uh, being abducted was by Serbian police. This is 10 years ago now. And the reason that one of the reasons we were able to get out of that situation and escape is because I was pulling this st- putting the, the gas pedal down big time on rapport building so this cop was super this state security guy kind of like their fbi super angry guy um really really emotional and i just kept absorbing it and reflecting back calm you know just he would be angry and yelling and i'd reflect back calm just not irritating calm right that can drive other people nuts and work them up but just very very chill calm and i call this out framing so it's like this guy's yelling and freaking out and i'm just pretending like he's talking normally to me so he'd be like 
do you want to die right now, you son of a bitch? And I'd be like, hey, um, do you know what time the... <laughs> what time we can get out of here and they're like i'm friggin' talking to you you stupid piece of crap and i'm like yeah i can hear you sorry can you rephrase that and and they're just constant you can work their emotions down a lot of uh, the things that uh, fbi and hostage negotiators i'm getting worked up thinking about this story a lot of the things yeah. i learned fbi hostage negotiators and stuff like that who i recently did a show with with one that'll be out soon we talk about this a lot, working with people's emotions, getting people into a logical state of mind where they can be persuaded logically instead of emotionally or at least more more logically, and then getting them emotional again when we need to use emotions and persuasion in that sort of field. So there's sort of two baskets, logical and emotional, and you can persuade in both. Emotional is a lot easier. So we're, I'm getting this guy kind of calmed down and then I'm getting him worked up again but not at me and worked up at something else and then we're on the same team right I'm getting him worked up about something that I want him to be worked up about not me and so I'm getting him worked up about uh, foreigners even though I am one and that's what he was mad about before so I kind of redirect <laughs> that and then before I know it we're drinking right we ended up yeah. drinking with, with these guys don't get me wrong we were still their prisoners but they liked us and we were hanging out and they, they started to trust us and when I told him I was sick and needed water and he went to go get some that's when we split so you have to know how to do these things it's not just like a lot of people go oh if you ever end up in that situation you gotta make small talk that's not gonna work talking about the weather asking him personal questions that stuff's not gonna work you gotta ease into it you've gotta have frame control and make sure that you're in charge of the interaction you've gotta make sure that you're asking them questions that when they're asking you questions they're not getting answers that they don't want or that they don't like there's so many things so many little pieces that go into this and you see these same pieces coming into play when you're hanging out with your friends and your family. It's just that you're not consciously manipulating everybody else around you. You turn that on as a self-defense skill when you need to, like when you're chained in a basement in Serbia. Yeah. Do you have any good um, resources for if somebody wants to, like at a networking event, somebody wants to learn to control the frame so that the conversation isn't constantly about them, it's about the other person and them getting some information? Yes, what so you have? There, there's um there's something called deflect defer disclose. I guess we could call it the three D's. It just sounds kind of stupid, but we call it deflect defer disclose. And that looks a little something like, "Hey Jordan, what do you do?" And I might say, I might even frame control would be, if we're not face to face and it's appropriate to do so, I might pretend like I didn't hear them and go, "So what do you do, Kirsten?" Right? And then mm -hmm. just like, well. I'm not going to sit here and argue and go, I asked you first. You're just going to answer me because you'll just assume I didn't hear you or that I had a brain fart, right? Yeah. So that's that's sort of a deflect. Um, and then defer, you might say, so what do you do? And I might say, this this might get a little drawn out. I'm kind of a windbag. Tell me what you do first. And you might go, all right, fine. Well, anyway, and then you start talking about what you do. And then after you do that, or if you're very insistent, then I'll disclose what I do. And the reason I do that first is because if – if I want to talk about what I do because it's going to help me in business and maybe I'm in a circle full of people I want them to know what I do, I want to talk last because then I'm not stepping on other people's toes if I take a little bit more time. Or what happens if you say, oh, I'm a talk show host and I also teach advanced social skills training and persuasion. People are like, wait, what? Because the guy before me was a consultant and the guy before them was an insurance salesman. right? So yeah. it fails the conversation. So sometimes I don't want that because I'm just not in the mood. But other right. times I do want that, but I don't want it to be rude. And then suddenly the guy next to me is like, well, I guess nobody cares what I do. And then it makes me look bad for that reason. So I'll deflect it for disclosure close and I'll, I'll be able to do that and, and control when I talk about what I do and with whom and 
exactly how it gets delivered and, and when in the conversation that it gets delivered. And those things are important because otherwise someone else is in control of the conversation. And you, you probably have been there when someone goes, what are you doing? You go, oh, I just... I don't want to talk about it right now. I'm tired, you know. I um, I get to the point sometimes where I don't even tell them I do crowdfunding. I just say, yeah, I'm a startup advisor. And they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, well, I help people launch products online. Yeah, and they're like, whatever, I don't care. I was just making Yeah, I'm trying to make myself sound super boring because I just don't want to get into it if I don't feel that they're relevant to what I'm doing. Yeah, and and the problem problem there is, of course, and and this is something that we probably should stop doing because, of course, what we do want is we want to be able to get referrals from everybody, and and so it's really tough. And the problem, though, and the reason, and we can wrap with this because it, it dovetails really nicely right away. You don't want to do it because they're not necessarily relevant to you. But what did we say before? Well, you can't really see a lot of the opportunities because they're under the next layer of the onion. So. The reason usually that we don't want to disclose is because we don't feel like talking about it or because if you say, well, I'm a crowdfunding, they go, what's crowdfunding? And then you're like, you got to go into that and you got to do this. And you... <laughs> yeah. So something called the tornado technique, and I'll give you a brief, brief overview of what that is. Tell me. What that essentially is, is you tell other, and we have drills and exercises for this that we run uh, on, in our social capital product. Uh, but what this is, is you tell people how what you do and you tell them in a way that they can then translate to someone else. So layman's terms, yes, but also in a way that's sticky. And so what that means essentially is instead of saying, well, I have a iTunes top 50 podcast where I interview high performers and deconstruct what they do and teach that to my listening audience. Somebody might be like, what? what? <laughs> you might just say, I'm a talk show host and I interview highly successful people. And or interesting people or whatever. And then that way the taxi driver, for example, or, or the other person at the dinner party can tell somebody else what I do in a way that makes sense. So if your job description goes through the tornado technique, it can go through a game of telephone. Remember that game? Telephone. Mm-hmm. I can do. Go through the game of telephone and somebody on the other end can say, hey, you're that guy, Jordan. You have a talk show where you interview interesting people or something like that. Is that right? And you go, yeah, pretty much. But if I say, well, I teach high performers this or that and the other thing, they're it's not getting past the first rung on that ladder. It's not going to make through the game of telephone. And the problem with that, the reason that that's important is because if you do crowdfunding or you teach, you tell startups how to get capital for products or launch products online, you want referrals. You're not going to get referrals if the person has to go into the history of Kickstarter campaigns and GoFundMe and crowdfunding. It's just over their head, right? It's going to go over their head. They're not even going to be listening, let alone memorizing it, let alone telling somebody else. So it's not sticky and it doesn't help. So yeah. Most people can't do that because we're so close to our jobs that we don't know how to tornado our our occupation so that other people can tell other people what we do. And that's a problem because I want everybody talking about the art of charm. So the simplest thing for me to say is talk show host. I teach, I interview interesting people or successful people and have them teach things to my audience. Pretty much anybody can remember that and I do tailor it to the audience as well. If I'm in with a whole bunch of entrepreneurs, I interview entrepreneurs and have them teach things to my audience, and then everybody yeah. knows what I do, and they're all pitching me, and I'm, that's where I want it. I want to be in that position where all these successful people are asking me for my my card. Like I want that. Um, yeah. So you tailor that type of thing. If it's a really techie crowd, you could easily say I do crowdfunding for startups. Everybody knows what that is. If you're at your yeah. free Thanksgiving dinner with your family, don't even mention internet because half your family doesn't even have it. Right. Yeah. I make money online. When could you make money online? Oh, can you make money online? I didn't know you could make money yeah. online. 
Um, so if I wanted to find out more about the tornado technique you mentioned, it was part of your social capital product. Where yes. can I find that? Uh, theartofcharm.com slash social capital. Okay. So it's essentially an entire, it's an entire course about networking and relationship development. Okay. And what we do is we teach how to find the right people for your network, how to screen the right people in, how to maintain your network, how to reach upward in your network, why you should be reaching downward and across, how to reach up to people at work, how to reach up to people in your social life. Like It's a whole course on networking and relationship development, not necessarily for business, but it fits. It, it's for both business, I should say, and personal life. So it's it overlaps both of those things because you can't separate the two. It doesn't make sense. There's there's tons of people that network at work and have no friends outside of work, but there's not very many people who are successful isolating just their work network or their personal network. Usually there's massive overlap. And the people who develop the best relationships, the strongest ones, the most influential ones are the ones that tend to be the most successful. Mm-hmm. And I vote for overlap. Yes. That's my jam. Overlap. I won't take a client on if I can't hang out with them. Really? That's a good idea. Because yeah. otherwise, they're going to be a huge pain. And by hanging out with your clients, they're more likely to be reasonable because they value the friendship in addition to the exactly. business arrangement. That's really Not only reasonable, but I find that I can be completely honest and open and be comfortable saying what I need to say sometimes. Um, yeah. And it's okay because there's a relationship on that as opposed to like, I don't know this person. I feel uncomfortable with them. I can't really be open with them. Um, that's just how I am. This product sucks, but I don't want to say anything because they're probably going to get mad versus, oh, Jim's cool. He'll understand that we need to redo this. And he'll take my yeah. – he knows I'm not just ripping him off to bill three extra hours. Like he knows that this is not where it needs to be. Exactly. Yeah. So. It's, a good, it's a good policy as much as you can enforce it. It's hard online. It's hard, yeah, because you, you don't know. Sometimes you have two conversations with someone and you're like, yes, I'm, I'm doing this or whatever. But yeah, so dude, this has been awesome as always. Yeah, I appreciate it. No worries. Um, do you have any famous last words? Leave everything better than you found it. Love it. You knew that was coming. Find that. I did. That's yeah. like your thing. That is my thing. That's your thing. So great. Well, thanks so much. You got so it. Good. Yep, cool. you got it. Let me know when it's out. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.